0: Welcome to the Next Level Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hitchcock. The Next Level Leadership Podcast exists with you in mind. It exists to raise you to your next level of leadership. We've got a great show in store for you today. We've got with us a servant leadership consultant, trainer, speaker for all things in the automotive industry. Chris Collins. He's going to be joining us today, talking about facets of leadership and how you and I can affect change in the world around us. This is an episode you don't want to miss. Well, it is great to be with you once again. It's always an honor and a privilege, Josh. Every week
1: we get to be together. It is an honor and a privilege, and of course it is great, as you always say, Josh. It's never not great. It's always great. That's
0: right. That's and for right. that
1: reason, I'm thankful to be here.
0: Hey, that's how I see it. I always see it as great. You know that. You know that about me personally. I'm actually a very optimistic and positive person, and I think you know that. I look at the cup half full before I look at it half empty. And I think that's how we all should be in life. But hey, we're not talking cute, about optimism. cricket sounds. No, no. We're not talking about optimism this week. That's a talk for another day. Uh, But we are talking to a leadership guru and trainer of all things automotive industry, service writers, service managers. He works with them all. Chris Collins, he actually started his own firm to do this, and he's doing it all over the nation. He's written four or five books, and and he's going to mention them in the in the interview. But this was a great interview, Josh. And uh, I I just look forward for the audience to hear him uh, because I think everybody's going to walk away better than they were before.
1: Agreed. I really enjoyed this interview. You know, Chris is going to be our uh, keynote speaker at this year's annual convention for Christian Brothers Automotive. This is the one for service managers and service advisors and technicians. So this is a well-timed interview. And I think he really set the pace for what this convention is going to be all about. I agree.
0: It's, it's really a good primer to get things started. But without further ado, let's jump right into this interview. Well, Chris, it is great to have you on the Next Level Leadership Podcast. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Well, it's our joy and our honor. So, Chris, we're going to get right to it. We'll start off with a question uh, about your story. So if you would first begin by telling our audience where you came from, where you are now. What, what's the story of Chris?
2: So the the story of Chris is complicated and maybe unique in the sense that uh, when I was five years old, my mother married a gentleman and their goal was to be missionaries. And so at the age of five, we moved to Mexico and I actually was the uh, only, you know, American white, light haired kid out of 200 kids in an orphanage. So the first two years we were in Mexico, they're in an orphanage and then then my stepdad started a church down there and, uh, I was the, you know, I don't know if you guys know what this means. I was an MK and a PK. You guys know what that means?
1: I know, uh, PK is a preacher's kid,
2: missionary kid, preacher's preacher. Oh, I should probably the two worst things, right? You could be, uh, definitely. If you said, Oh, that kid over there, uh, is an MK PK. You'd be like, Oh boy, he's trouble. So, uh, when I was a teenager, 13, my mom and him split, and I ended up back in Washington State, which is where I was from. And uh, my first job ever was as a porter at an RV dealership where um, I assisted the technicians there. And uh, in the summer, I used to have to seal the roofs on an RV, which there's like this tar stuff that you put put on or whatever. Uh, that was kind of the beginning of... Uh, my love for this, you know, industry. And then when I was 17, I got a job as a lot attendant at a Volkswagen Audi Subaru dealership to pay for drumsticks and, uh, my band rent. Cause I was in a band in Seattle. And then I ended up being the one that, you know, showed up on time and worked pretty hard. So they promoted me to be the, the manager of the lot attendants in detail. And then I became a service advisor and then I kind of, kind of moved up and in a pretty early age. So when I was 24, I started going around and training service advisors and fixing service departments. And I worked for a, for a company that did that. And then eventually I ended up running a car dealership, owning my own car dealership. And then, then I went back to fixing them and I've written a couple, couple books. So I have a book for advisors called the millionaire service advisor which the premise of that is if you know you stay in one place and build a clientele, you'll have you know, a retirement basically. And then I have one for service managers called the irreplaceable service managers. And then another one that sells in the general business is called gamification playing for profits. And then I have another book that I'm working on called I am leader, which is about leadership, which is also for general business. So, PKMK that started off as a porter and kind of worked his way up I think is the, the story
1: very cool so Chris I know right now what you're doing is a lot of training correct
2: so we have we have tra- we have online training we have coaching groups and then uh, we're starting leadership or we're going to start doing leadership workshops yeah
1: that's awesome can you speak to what you're doing now how you got into the online training the platform that you have and the the, the people that you're able to influence how'd you get into what you're doing right now
2: probably two, two parts of that that I think are really relevant to the way things are now is one is when I was an advisor in my early twenties, the dealership that I worked at hired a consulting company and they came in and I was, you know, the top advisor and they, uh, one of the consultants said, Hey, I'm having a hard time at this Ford dealership. Could you come talk to the advisors? And so I thought he wanted me to actually train them. So what I started doing, and it's kind of simple, and I think this works for anything, is I started paying attention to the lowest-performing advisor and what he did and then what I did. So I would watch, like, how does he approach a customer? So you'd approach a customer and say, do you have an appointment? And he'd be very off-putting and kind of like almost like he was, you know, the anti-customer helper in a way. Mm-hmm. When I walked up to a, to a customer, I was genuinely curious like what they did, what they were about. And the car was kind of irrelevant to me or, you know, or the truck. So just paying attention to the gap between, you know, what was successful for me versus what wasn't successful for somebody else. And you can do that in anything in business, you know, pay attention to the results, not the idealized version of things. And then that's the other thing is I I always kind of had a disdain for consultants because they always seemed like they would come in, and make you feel kind of dumb, like you didn't know what you were doing. But there wasn't a lot of substance to it at the end of the day. That was, you know, really proven. And so the heart of our company has been that we're on the front lines. We're sharing ideas that are actually working in businesses or in service drives, and not the idealized version of of things. We're the anti-consultants in that way. So that's kind of the heart and soul of what, you know, what we stand for today, you know, really, really focusing on results, not the idealized version of things.
1: That's awesome, Chris. And you're talking about focusing on the person, you know, it's the person before the process It's the connection before the content. It's the experience as a relationship and not a transaction. And there's so many individuals behind the counter who view the next guest as a transactional relationship, um, as opposed to just getting to know them on a personal level first. So the fact that you're able to identify that and move forward is tremendous. Chris, as you know, one of the the major reasons for training and for uh, development and and improvement is to to make changes, to make positive changes. And you know that the theme for this year's annual convention is affecting change. So my question to you is, what advice would you give to someone who knows that a change is necessary, but they struggle with their ability to influence and affect it?
2: I'm going to lay out kind of a step-by-step process that will kind of make this make more sense. But in a sense, if you think about, you want to get better every year, everybody would agree with the fact that if you're in business, if you're doing anything, the real measurement of any sort of passion or, or uh, interest in a skill is that you're improving and getting better. And so if you want to change your results, or if you want your, your results to be different, you have to do things that are different. And so change is kind of built into evolution and everything that happens, right? The world is changing. The economy is changing. Our friends are changing. Everybody's changing, growing, moving, making more money, making less money, getting a divorce, not, you know, everything is changing constantly. And I think that one of the the things that keeps people from changing is one, not understanding that change is something you need to practice and embrace, like you literally need to practice change, you, you need to be looking for ways that you can change and improve, but the other part is it really comes down to self-esteem, a, r- a big reason why people don't want to change is because they have low self-esteem and they're just scared to try something that isn't going to work that then will make them feel worse about themselves because they've tried things before and those things didn't work and there's like, there's like a learned helplessness that happens there where we play not to lose instead of playing to win because we're, we're so afraid of failing and, you know, having something go wrong. And so the second part of this is you want to train your mind to see winning and losing as the same thing. And we'll kind of unpack that at the event more, but you need to see winning and losing as the same thing. You guys have probably seen, uh, you know, especially being an Eagles fan, uh, that sometimes people can be poor winners. Have you guys ever experienced that where somebody over celebrates or it's just like, you're like, okay, you won, but geez, like why, you know, you need a parade for that. Have you guys ever experienced that? Sure. Yeah. It's the same sort of thing as you can tell that that person has low self esteem or they're looking for validation. It's the same thing when we're afraid to change is we, uh, we're so afraid that it won't go perfect or it won't go right. That we're n- we don't want to take we don't want to take any chances, so we do the opposite. We train ourselves not to change, and we just stay in a in a feedback loop, right? A, just a closed loop system where we're trying to uh, keep ourselves from any sort of a uh, resistance or any new you know new territory because we emotionally can't handle it.
1: The fear just sets in, and then all of a sudden, you know, we, we start losing resiliency, like you're talking about. I mean, it's uh, what I'm hearing you say is. Regarding change, we can be proactive about seeking out change as opposed to waiting for something to happen.
2: Well, I've, I've honestly, in, in my life, and I've, I've seen it in many others, you can practice change. Like, you literally can reprogram your mind to look for it instead of letting it happen to you. And it's just right. really simple analogies, offense versus defense. If you're always trying to play it safe, and you're always in a defensive mode, you're always just giving away, and you're just going to lose the little every time because the offense is going to move, right? Right. So you got to go on offense. And so if you're on offense, you're looking for change. You're looking for ideas. You're looking to collaborate. You're looking for new friends that are actually doing things different than the way you're doing. You know, you're going to crack that egg where you're trying to surround yourself with people that agree with you, with people that think the same, the people that are getting the same results that you are. And you're actually going to expand your horizons and, you know, many different aspects of your life because you're, you're practicing change.
1: Sure. Getting comfortable being uncomfortable. That's how we're going to grow. So t- tying, this
0: exactly. the, tying this in, tying this in a leadership,
1: Chris, you know, um,
0: because you, you know, you reference leadership a couple of times. And one thing we say often, uh, you know, to quote John Maxwell, everything, rises and falls on leadership and, and and I think it's so true. So what are, what are practical ways through effective leadership that we can (laughs) increase our influence in every area of our life?
2: So I'm going to, I'm going to draw this out at the event. Um, so you, you know, it's very visual and you can see, but I I would, I would say one part of that, which makes sense, but we don't practice is that if you can't lead yourself, you can't lead others. And so it starts with you and most people at best are middle managers in a closed loop system, but they're not leaders in any sense. And, uh, they struggle even being managers for the most part. You look around, there's very few leaders out there in politics and business. Very, very few. Most of what we're looking at are, are, you know, managers. And so it starts with you. It's like, you know, if if you, like, isn't it funny that, uh, one comment I'll get a lot is, well, you know, how do I get my people to, to follow a process? Or how do I get my people to do something that I need them to do? Or, you know, basically they're saying like, how do I get my people to change? Right. And it's like, uh, well, what, what have you changed? <laughs> mm. Like it starts with you. Like you, you're you building a team of people that think like you, the culture that you've created is an extension of you. And so, if you're not a leader that's practicing change, if you're not a leader that's you know, following the things that you wish everybody else would do, you you can't fake it. There's no fake. That's another thing. Like you can't fake it until you make it. That's a, it's a contradiction. Like you have to be it.
1: Yeah. Face it. Face it till you make it.
2: I don't remember how old I was the first time I heard somebody, Oh, you got to fake it until you make it. But that's never made any sense to me. It's like, you got to lie until it becomes the truth.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: doesn't make any sense. No, you you, you got to, there's a lot of work that goes into getting ahead in something that you're struggling with, you know? You need outside influence, you need better friends, you need to study it, you, you know, you need to try some things, you need to accept that there's going to be a failure rate. Um, there's no shortcuts.
1: Well, speaking of shortcuts, there's a, a number of different roles that play a factor in leadership and exercising leadership skills. I'm going to ask you, Chris, what role does discipline and consistency play in leadership?
2: There's probably two ways to approach that is one is if you're the sort of leader that is more creative and you, you know, you struggle with discipline and it's not something you're good at, then you're going to have to have a partner or number two in place that is. And then You know, if you don't struggle with discipline, you already know the rewards of of discipline. But uh, I have a a friend, his name is Chase Hughes, and he's got the greatest definition for discipline that I've ever heard. And I might mess it up, but the spirit of it is that the definition of discipline is uh, foregoing, you know, yourself now and prioritizing your future self. Mm. So putting, putting the now behind the future me and lo- you know, loving the future me enough that in this moment, I'm willing to forego that instant gratification in order to set myself up for success later on.
0: In other words, you're, you're saying learning how to say no to yourself is what you're saying.
2: Yeah. Learning how to say no or learning how to work harder or push through or, you know, read like, just think about this for a sense is like people will say, Oh, I want to do better at business or, you know, I want to do better at whatever it is. And then you say, well, what have you done? Have you read a book? Have you gone to a class? Have you found any friends that are experts in that? No. It's just like, Oh, so we just, we were just going to wish that it would happen. Right. We're just going to hope that we got lucky in a sense. And it's like, you know, you gotta, you gotta put in the work. And so that's a part of discipline too, is you got to accept the fact that if you want to improve in a certain area, You're going to have to do some work to learn about that, you know, to study, to experience it, to go around and see other people that are performing at a high level and how they're doing it. Um, You can't just sit on your hands and hope it's going to happen.
0: Right. Yeah, if you, if you want to do things in a, in, a, in a mediocre way or do things like everybody else is doing it, uh, you're going to have the results everyone else has, right? And that, and it's so true because, you know, oftentimes we all want things that others don't have. We want to achieve things others don't achieve, yet we don't want to do the things others don't do. And I think that's what I hear you saying is begin to do the things that others won't do.
2: That's usually a, a really good shortcut to success. Cause average is, uh, you know, average is pretty common and most people spend their day doing mo- you know, mostly average stuff. They drink average coffee at an average restaurant, driving the average car. Like I can tell by the things that you do every day and the way you treat yourself, how serious you are about, you know, performance and getting ahead. Chris,
1: uh, Josh Hitchcock is a massive Starbucks fan. Would you consider that average coffee?
2: Well, the problem with that is you guys know I'm from Seattle. Oh, that's true. In Seattle, Starbucks is like the McDonald's of coffee, but for the rest of the world, Starbucks is still better than what most have. So it depends on your context. Like the coffee I'm drinking right now is way better than Starbucks, but in a pinch, if I'm in, you know, parts of the Midwest or parts of the country, Starbucks is actually, you know, a lifesaver.
0: I thought you were going to say Seattle's best for a minute
2: starbucks box yeah yeah
0: uh, you want to talk about good leadership howard schultz and and this is totally off the cuff to everybody that's listening but howard schultz wrote a book about the starbucks experience and he and he had this principle in there Pour
2: your your heart into it that book
0: that's that's right that's right i I think it might be that one but there was one where he talked about surprise and delight he introduced that principle surprise and delight surprise and delight you're Yes, surprise and delight your customers, and, and and watch the results. So yeah, let me
2: tell you, let me tell you about a little kid that that grew up in Seattle and was a huge fan of a basketball team called the Seattle SuperSonics. You ever hear them?
0: Uh, no, I have not, but I'll take your word for it. Sonics, never it was heard a of prof- them.
2: Professional, it, it was a <laughs> professional basketball team in Seattle that, uh, upon Howard Schultz, you know, windfall of success, he bought. And then, you know, this poor little boy watched the, you know, the, you guys never saw the Sonics and the Bulls.
1: Oh, yeah, we saw them. 96, the 97, finals. Gary Payton, Sean Kemp. Sean Kemp. Come on, let's talk yeah. about it.
2: Yeah, and then uh, then he, uh, you know, then he sold them to some guy in the Midwest, and the Sonics are no more.
1: Mm-hmm. They're the Thunder now.
2: Can we unpack that leadership for a second? But, uh, hey. No, I'm joking. I, I, I believe uh, that, that the next. really good, actually.
1: I believe the next city who's going to get a new NBA team is going to be Seattle. The NBA is going back to Seattle. I I, I feel it.
2: That would be great.
1: So
0: Chris, just kind of wrapping this up, what are some, you know, we talked about several practical ways that people can affect change, but is there any other practical steps that you're thinking of in addition to what we talked about, consistency, discipline, so forth, where people can affect change effectively in the world around them?
2: Probably the best way is to really commit the fact that you want to improve in certain areas. So, have very specific outcomes that you want and think about those outcomes daily. So, you know, some people say write your goals down every day, but you don't have to write them. You can think about them, but start off every day thinking about, okay, here's the goal. And if I want to reverse engineer achieving this, some things are going to have to change. And so, literally train yourself every day to think about the things you can change to achieve that goal. And if you just do those simple steps, it starts to retrain your mind to see change as something that's fun and necessary. And you know, a part of who you really are and it will show you where your insecurities are and the things that you're scared of and kind of make you face those in a sense. So reverse engineering, like what is it today that I need to do to get closer to that thing I want to achieve? And you know, change will be automatic at that point because something has to change. You got to do something different in order to go towards that or step closer to it.
0: That is so true. And steps you and I can take and have to take on a day to day level if we're going to affect change. And that's what it's all about changing the world around us, making the world a better place. So Chris, last question, how can our audience stay connected with you, get to know more about you and just keep up with what's going on in your
2: world? So I'm on on Instagram. I'm Chris Bulldog Collins. On Facebook, I'm Chris Collins. And uh, our website is chriscollinsinc.com. And there's links on there to our social media. But um, yeah, any of that. Say hi, reach out, say hello. And I can't wait to see everybody.
0: Well, I'm sure the audience will do just that. and, And I encourage them to do so. Chris, it was so great having you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Yeah, thanks, gentlemen. It was fun.
0: Well, that was a fantastic interview. I-, I thought it was really grand.
1: It was excellent. Yeah, I think he had a lot of good takeaways, good little nuggets that we can take from and uh, and apply to our everyday life.
0: I agree as well. You know, it's our hope and prayer every week that you walk away better than you were before, and I-, I believe we're all doing just that. So before I let you go, I want to leave you with these encouraging words from Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. May that be our prayers, leaders, that that we live a good life and, and react accordingly to other people, pointing them to our Father in heaven. So until next time, I'm Josh Hitchcock reminding you to keep
2: leading well.